Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. And today we are with Jack DeLosa. Now, Jack is without doubt one of my favorite entrepreneurs in the world. He's built incredible businesses. He's the founder of The Entourage. He's a best-selling author two times. He's a rich list regular. He's got his own TV show called Entrepreneurs, and he is an incredible incredible speaker and thought leader and today we talk all things business entrepreneurship and he's got an incredible mind for business and how to navigate your way around business you're going to find some incredible insights to this episode with jack delosa so sit back and enjoy this week's episode of the one shop movement podcast Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. And today I'm with a very good friend of mine, someone that I look up to, and uh, you know I've known him uh, for a long time, but we've been, uh, I guess, in close contact and working together for the last uh, four years since I've been a member of his incredible Elevate program as one of the founding members there. Uh, but he's a world-leading entrepreneur. His name's Jack DeLosa, best-selling author. He had his own TV show called Entrepreneurs. He's faced adversity and challenges like you would not believe in both business and personal life. We'll talk a little bit about that. And he actually wrote the foreword to my book, and I really opened up to him when we travelled together to Hawaii a couple of years, and we align in so many different ways. So uh, welcome to the show, Jack. Craig, it is an absolute pleasure to be here, mate. As a as a huge fan of yours, it's, uh, it's always good to have the discussions. Cool, and I always like to invite the the entrepreneur, the guests, to actually fill out their story, and you know, I'd love to uh, the audience to know a little bit more about Jack Delosa, and uh, yeah, if you can spend a few minutes sharing your story. For sure, mate. I mean, I think my sort of business career, if you like, started uh, when I was quite young, you know, the age of sort of six or seven, my parents ran a not-for-profit organization called Breaking the Cycle, uh, and they would take uh, youth at risk off the street, quite literally, and put them through a three-month training program, teaching them life skills and employability skills, um, mindset, psychology, management, leadership, and then they'd facilitate them into employment. Um, And so that's the kind of world that I grew up in at a very uh, fundamental and foundational age, I suppose. Um, You know, breaking the cycle could only take a finite number of young adults each year. And so uh, we would deliberately take uh, those from the most challenging of backgrounds. And so you've got, you know, 18 to 24 year olds walking in uh, who are on and off drugs from abusive homes in and out of prison um, and looking for an opportunity and a catalyst to reclaim their lives and rebuild themselves. Um, and even though Breaking the Cycle would choose those from the most challenging of backgrounds, uh, they were the most successful job placement agency, although there were a lot more than that, but sort of in technical terms, the most successful job placement agency for uh, long-term unemployed youth in Australia. Um, and so, you know, I was sort of wagging school and, uh, you know, spending my days in mum's classroom. Mum was the head trainer and dad was the managing director. Um, and so that was really the world that I grew up in. And it, and it taught me a lot. It gave me a lot of 
dissatisfaction for the traditional system and the traditional education path and the traditional career path and highlighted for me that it doesn't work for everybody. And I think that's only increasingly true today. Um, Breaking the Cycle was also a not-for-profit organisation. And so uh, the Kennett government, the Victorian government at the time, uh, sort of restructured the, the way they issued capital out to not-for-profits and Breaking the Cycle was unsuccessful under the new regime. And so the organisation collapsed. And I think that's where I get my commercial side from, if you like. Um, you know, I always wanted to influence things and change things. And as I said, from a very young age, I had a very high degree of dissatisfaction uh, and wanted to do something, do something about that. Uh, but I want to do so in a way that is uh, through business, in a way that's profitable and scalable on its own merits. And so whole mode of operation, if you like, is to uh, build businesses incredibly well uh, that are well capitalized and well resourced and can attract the best talent from around the world, uh, but operate in a way that fundamentally makes the world a better place. And that's sort of permeated everything I've done in business since. Mm. And just on that too, like you, uh, you, I know a lot of your story, but you know, you did try that traditional path for education before you got into business as well. So, um, you know, uh, school and education and university is not for everyone. There's so many successful examples of that. But where was your first business? Uh, where did that sort of start? You uh, had a career before the entourage. Do you want to share a little bit of insight to that? Yeah, so I had a number of companies prior to the entourage. I mean, my first company was a business-to-business -business call centre down in Melbourne. I'm a Melbourne boy originally. Um, that sort of taught me a lot about what not to do. You know, my view is that in business, uh, you know, I am not a advocate of university most of the time. Uh, but I think some people misconstrue that to, to being not an advocate for education. And the further, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. The whole reason I dropped out of university is because I love learning. And, and I just wasn't achieving that within the four walls of a university. So it was quite ironic. It was my love for learning that drove me to leave uh, the traditional education system and go out and start my own business. But, you know, in, whether you go to university or not, you will do your apprenticeship period. And so my apprenticeship period was that first business that was, you know, probably uh, two or three years of uh, learning everything, you know, in, 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 it's kind of that elementary stage. Um through trial and error. And, you know, it was an apprenticeship, but it was a self-driven apprenticeship. It was a self-initiated apprenticeship conducted out in the real world. Um, after that, I started another company uh, called Limitless, where we were sort of teaching mindset and emotional intelligence and communication skills throughout schools and universities around Victoria. Um, and that introduced me to a gentleman called Ruben Buchanan, who was, um, you know, out in the kind of medium-sized business space, helping businesses raise money from investors. Together, Ruben and I started a company called MBE Group, which would ultimately help SMEs raise money from investors at scale. Um, and MBE was probably my first real home run. We, you know, we enabled our clients to raise over $300 million. We became one of Australia's fastest growing companies. Um, and it introduced me to a network of really successful entrepreneurs. And so I think that gave me my foundation in business. It gave me a financial foundation. It gave me a, a, a credibility and reputational foundation. Um, it, it gave me a lot of really good experience. And so from that, I, I um, started the Entourage, which 
Um, you know, I started in 2010, again, out of pure dissatisfaction for how entrepreneurs are generated and enabled in Australia and around the world. Um, and, you know, 10 years later, we're Australia's largest uh, business coaching and training uh, company. Um, and essentially, you know, the, the people that come to the entourage are those that are very good at what they do. You know, average revenue of the average business that comes to uh, the entourage is about $3.5 million. So, you know, they've, they're have they a physio company or they're a chiropractor or they're a tech company or they're an e-com company or they have, cup, you know, two cupcake stores and they want to have eight cupcake stores. And so, it's, you know, I'm, I'm good at what I do. I've kind of developed somewhat of a... Um, a business however i want help in how do i build a commercially scalable business model around that so that i can build something that can scale beyond me um and ultimately you know uh, build an asset that can become far larger than it would if it was dependent on me and in you know if, if the founder was kind of the glass ceiling of it so uh yeah so 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 that's what we do today and it's been um you know an incredibly rewarding 10 years Mm. And just to rewind in a bit, because I do want to talk a little bit about the entourage because there's been a journey within a journey, but you mentioned one thing about networks and relationships. And I've sort of built my whole 20 years in business off developing relationships. I dedicated a chapter to my book about how important relationships are. If you can leverage time, money and relationships, you can really create something quite special. You mentioned in that MBE that opened you up to a network of incredible people, and I would consider... You've taken it to another level with the entourage and the community, and that's certainly one of the reasons that I'm a part of that. How important is that for somebody in business to develop? I think it's critical, and I don't use that word lightly. You know, um, I view entrepreneurs as, you know, I call us the one percenters. And I don't mean that in a hierarchical sense or a better, worse sense. I just mean that we are fundamentally wired differently to 99% of the population. We have different values. We have uh, different thought patterns. We have a different lifestyle. We have different decision-making criteria. Uh, we have different challenges that arise for us. We have different goals, different visions. It's, it, it's uh, quite a unique DNA and therefore a unique life path. And the most dangerous thing for one percenters is to constantly surround themselves with 99 percenters that just don't get it. Because uh, the 99 percenters will say things like, why don't you come out with us as much as you used to? Or, uh, you know, can't you just engage in small talk for five minutes? Or um, you don't need to take all this so seriously. And sure, you can, you know, you don't need to do this project. You know, you, you're taking too much on. Just just relax and kick back. Or, um you know, in any any number of different things that don't really correlate with our value set. Or, you know, the worst of which is you're an idiot. What you're doing is is not uh, likely to succeed. You should quit and go and get a job, right? And I think I think every entrepreneur has heard that from 99% as at, at one point or another. So um, I think getting around like-minded, like-hearted people and finding a tribe of people that you resonate with, you know, in your fucking soul is so incredibly powerful because it not only makes the journey significantly more joyful, uh, it also means that uh, you will stick with it because if you're constantly surrounded by 99% and the journey is incredibly hard, which it always is, usually is, uh, chances are you might give up. 
you know, you might, you might, their voice might drown out yours to such a degree that you actually lose the very thing that made you different. And so getting around fellow one percenters and uh, doing so in a way that lights you up and makes the journey more joyful is critical. Mm. And just uh, just on top of that, your subconscious mind uh, will actually, you know, the tribe that you spend the most time with, you'll get, you'll become the average of that as well. So that's just a default that will automatically happen. So if you can get amongst that tribe of high achievers and like-minded, light-hearted people, as you say, you know, that's where you can really elevate yourself. So I want to move on to the entourage because it's been a journey, and I said it earlier, a journey within a journey, but you've reinvented yourself a number of times in the entourage uh, and even from a product suite point of view um, from what you originally started out to do to where you are today do you want to share a little bit more depth about what the entourage and how that happened that that major challenge you faced and where you've 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 been able to navigate your way through that because not too dissimilar to this crazy 2020 period you know you've had to uh embrace that uh, challenge as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the greatest challenge of my life came in 2016. So as I said earlier, I started Entourage in 2010 and we 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 exist for business owners. So uh, business owners that have a you know relatively established business come to us when they determine that they want to scale and take it to the next level. In 2015, um, we started to look at accredited education, so offering diplomas and advanced diplomas with the government, you know, government regulated uh, and government funded. So the government, you know, similar to HEX, would uh, fund students through diplomas and advanced diplomas. And that became really attractive to us because we had a lot of, uh, you know, young adults coming out of high school or going through university and thinking, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to university. I don't want to stay at university. I want to come to the entourage. Uh, but it looks like you guys only work with, you know, established business owners. Do you have anything for us? And so we thought we'll, we'll launch these, you know, diplomas of uh, business specialising in entrepreneurship so that we can um, cater to that uh, person that really wants to learn entrepreneurial skills and business skills from people who've been there, done that experience and life skills and mindset and do so in a way that, that enables them to genuinely start and scale a company. And so we went into that space uh, incredibly successfully. After we were in it for six months, uh, the government essentially said, anyone that's new to the space over the last couple of years, we're not going to pay you for six months because there were a couple of dodgy providers in the space at the time. And what was happening is the government would, you know, pay out large sums of money and then determine you know, a provider was acting out of integrity and they'd find it hard to ratchet the money back. And so at one point they just said, we're just not going to pay. If you're new to the space, we're just not going to pay anyone for, for six months. And, you know, entourage, keep doing what you're doing. You know, our student engagement rates, student retention rates, student completion rates were literally 10 times the industry average. So we were the golden boy of the industry. Uh, but nonetheless, we were a new entrant. And so we sort of fell under that umbrella. Six months became nine months. So for us, that became a cumulative cash lag in that arm of the business of about $6 million that, you know, I needed to fund through investment and debt and, um, invoice factoring and propping up myself and, you know, getting quite resourceful around funding that because you're still, you're still carrying all of the expenses. You've got the staff, you've got the students. Now programs, as you know, Craig, it's not 
here's your username and password. Good luck. You know, see you in 12 months. It's very involved. We have advisors, we have coaches, we have mentors, we have industry experts. Uh, we run intensive workshops uh, as well as doing all of the online stuff really, really well. So, um, and we weren't willing to compromise on that. So you're still carrying all of that infrastructure and all of that expense, even recognizing the revenue from a PL perspective, just not receiving the cash. And so um, in hindsight, that sort of nine months was easy relative to what came next. In October of 2016, the government completely changed the regulations in that space, which effectively made it not viable for any private provider to play in the accredited business education space in that particular environment. So uh, that meant that we had to come out of the space uh, and, and the government gave everybody three months notice. So it was going to take effect January 1, 2017. And so for us, that meant that we were three months away from a monthly loss of $800,000. We needed to go from 90 people to 40 people in a day, uh, which when you have a culture like ours, you know, we've been, we've been listed as Australia's fourth best place to work. We've been listed as a, um, in Australasia's top 50 places to work. And so culture for me has always been a real obsession point. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm not in business. You know, money isn't the driver for me. I'm here, to, I'm here to make an impact and I'm here to make an impact at scale. And I choose to do that with people that I love and I choose to do that in a family-like environment with my teams. And so, you know, going from 90 people to 40 people isn't fun in any environment, but with a culture like ours, it was you know, uh, particularly distressing. Um, and so we found ourselves in a position where, you know, we were millions and millions of dollars in debt, three months away from a monthly loss of $800,000, carrying far too much expenditure with no product suite that was going to last beyond three months, no business model that was going to last beyond three months. I've never seen, you know, and I've been in business for 15 years now. I've never seen, with the exception of Tesla in 2008, and, you know, they, I mean, their problems were significantly larger than mine. But um, with the exception of Tesla in 2008, I haven't seen another distressed, I've ne I haven't seen another business be in such a distressed position as that. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it flowed over into my personal life as well. You know, I, I, when I was 24 years of age, I bought my mother's house so that she wouldn't have to pay rent or pay mortgage or even carry a mortgage, sort of just taking all of that off her plate so that she could live somewhere rent and mortgage free and kind of help her into retirement. Um, now, as you know, when you've got a mortgage and, and you're carrying bank debt in the business, they like to cross collateralize the bank debt across um, any mortgages that you have. So if the business went under, which it was looking like it was absolutely going to, uh, you know, mum was going to be homeless and I wouldn't have the cash or the resources to help continue to support her. And so it was one of those moments of complete and absolute destruction of every area of one's life. Um, and it was incredibly confronting. I mean, the other thing for me was, you know, we'd, we'd been growing so well for so many years that you really get um you really get almost comfortable and attached to the growth and the success of it all and so when you know growing growing quickly becomes a steep decline there's even identity issues to work through like who am i as a leader in a business that is so distressed who how do i operate now uh and 
you know, when when distress comes along, which it does for everybody, and 2020 is a great example of that, not just for business owners, but for, you know, human beings all over the planet, the, the initial human reaction is often to retreat. And that's the worst thing that you can do because it makes everything worse. You know, I was meeting with administrators. I was meeting with liquidators. For people that don't know what administrators and liquidators are, they're people that wind up businesses. And they all, they all said to me the same thing. They all said, uh, you cannot trade through this. You guys are gone. And so I just decided to, it wasn't even a decision. It was more of a, I just couldn't accept that as a reality. And so I refused to accept that as a reality. And I told you about breaking the cycle before, how they were undone because of changes to government funding. And so a huge driver for me was that was a cycle that I now needed to break. I needed to break the cycle of governments destroying really meaningful and valuable companies. And so I was as determined as you could get. And, you know, 18 to 24 months later, we were growing faster than ever. We were smarter. We were sharper. We were faster. Uh, adversity and distress in business teaches you about risk management, which, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and all, you, all you've ever experienced most of the time is up and up and up. Risk management probably isn't something that you are considering to the degree that you should be yet. And so, you know, we were more well-rounded. I was a better CEO. I was a better entrepreneur. I was a better son. I was a better partner. Uh, I was a better leader. I was humbler. Um, and, you know, most importantly, we had better members than ever. We had more mature members than ever. Our member success story, you know, in terms of what our members were creating in their businesses were larger than ever. Uh, we were more profitable than ever. Our culture was and this day is still better than uh, it was in kind of V1 of the entourage. And so, um, it was the hardest period of my life. And, you know, you're talking to somebody that lost a brother to drugs. You know, I was 18, Tom was 21. Um, so like, like everybody in life, I haven't had an easy trot. I haven't had an easy run. But I do think that 2016 and 17 was probably the most challenging years of my life. And it reaffirmed for me that, it is our periods of our greatest challenge that are our periods of our greatest growth. Mm. And, uh, you know, Ray Dalio, who's the world's most successful hedge fund manager, is worth $17 billion. He's a, he's a very astute investor and wise human being. You know, Ray's probably 70 or so now. Uh, he says, pain plus reflection equals growth. Mm. I think that so many people, and you know this better than anybody, Craig, so many people go through painful periods or periods of adversity but they don't take the time to reflect worse they might even retreat and go distract themselves you know maybe it's have a, have a couple of too many glasses of wine or or they you know uh go and do any any number of things to distract themselves from what's going on and I think that it's really important when we're going through challenging periods we do the exact opposite we not only lean into the situation but take time to not distract ourselves and take time to continuously reflect, where have I gone wrong? Where is my life not the way I want it? Uh, if I was to envisage it exactly the way I want it, what would it look like? And if I was to get to work today and just take it a day at a time, because in really bad periods, that's all you can do. 
what would I do today to put my best foot forward to correcting myself and taking a step out of the fucking hell that I find myself in? Mm. And for, you know, years, that's what I was doing. I was literally taking it a day at a time. You know, I gave us a 5% chance of surviving that three months. Then I thought if we survive that three months, we've got a 10% chance of surviving the next 12 months. And so, you know, <laughs> even even according to my own estimates, the the odds were against us. And so, uh, yeah, I think, I think many business owners and human beings can probably relate to that story with everything that we've all faced in 2020 uh, and, and consider it a, a tale and an invitation to lean into challenge to reflect and to therefore pick up the nuggets of gold that adversity uh, inevitably offers us should we pause long enough to find it. Mm. Yeah, and as you're just saying that and you talk about managing risk, managing downside, my first six years in business, it was like everything I touched turned to gold. You know, I was South Australia's Fitness Professional of the Year. I just bought five fitness clubs. I'd started selling franchises, sold 22 franchises, uh, owned a nice property portfolio, and then the global financial crisis come rolling through and I was like, going, well, what happened? You know, and, you know, I took that steep decline and it just had to, you know, um, eat the, uh, you know, going from eating out at good restaurants to a bakery bread roll for lunch for two years just to get by. But, um, you know... The identity thing, right? Yeah. You know, it's not just the restaurant, it's the identity that that comes with that. And it's such a huge lesson in non-attachment and the destruction of ego. Mm, very much so. And just while we're just we're going to move on into a topic I really want to chat to you about is conscious wealth creating. But just the distressing time that that was for you, 2020. What's like one or two things that people that find themselves in, you know, again another government decision. The GFC was you know governments banks. This one's you know health, big pharma governments. You know what? How to. How do someone that's just got their back against the wall, what's the first thing they should do? Choose to live at cause. So one of the most fundamental principles, you know, I, as I mentioned before, I've been deeply immersed in personal development and spiritual development and psychology and human brain and human behavior since, since the age of six, so 27 years now. Um, and I'm often asked, Jack, you know, from almost three decades of research and experience and trial and error around personal growth, what's the most fundamental principle uh, that you've embodied, you know, and, and how I would kind of frame that question is if, if, if everything you knew was an inverse pyramid and it all rested on one fundamental block at the bottom that was kind of that everything else was resting on, what would that be? Um, and my answer to that is the principle of cause and effect, which is to say that most people choose to live their life at the effect of what's going on inside of them and at the effect of what's going on outside of them. Meaning, um, you know, I woke up this morning and I was in a bad mood and that's just the way I was. And my emotions are something that happened to me that I cannot control nor influence. And I'm just in a bad mood and that's how I'm going to be today. Or I woke up and my partner looked at me this way. And when they do that, they make me feel inferior or frustrated or angry or, you know, they, they make me. So I am at the effect of my partner. I'm at the effect of 
you know, my emotional moods at any given moment, or it's my boss's fault or my business's fault or COVID's fault or the economy's fault or the government's fault. Or... And most people choose to live their life like that because I think from an immediate gratification standpoint, it's, it seems to be easier. It's not, but it seems to be in the moment because choosing to be at cause, meaning I, so the fundamental principle that underpins my life is I choose to be at cause for everything that's going on inside of me and everything that's going on around me. So I am in control of my emotional state. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm always in a positive emotional state, but if I am uh, frustrated or uh, challenged or distressed, I consciously choose to be in that state and consciously accept that I'm going to be there, might have given myself a time limit, uh, and so that I can consciously move myself out of it when is required, right? I also choose to believe that I'm a cause for everything that goes on around me. If somebody says something or does something that, you know, uh, I don't agree with, I don't think Jimmy's a bad person. I think, what did I do or not do to cause that to happen? What did I say or not say to cause that to happen? And so it's a fundamental paradigm that I am not at the effect of anything, including myself, but I am at cause. And this also speaks to confidence, right? One of the core determinants of confidence is, am I influencing my environment or is my environment influencing me? And so I think that, you know, during COVID, it's, it's clearly outside of our immediate control. Now, I hesitate there because I believe at a metaphysical level as human beings, as an individuals, we invite every experience into our life because it aligns to our soul's journey and it aligns to our, soul, aligns to our soul's lessons that we came here to learn. So I think everything you're experiencing, whether you've got immediate practical and tactical control of it or not on some level you chose it right and so from there it's about control the controllables what can you control what can you take uh responsibility for and what can you do you know we surveyed um you know a couple of thousand smes from around australia um, to ask them, are they distressed going through COVID? Are they challenged? Are they doing well or are they booming? And then we um, surveyed our members going through our Accelerate and our Elevate programs. Are they distressed? Are they challenged? Are they doing well? Are they booming? And the distressed businesses out in the SME community was about 33%. The distressed businesses in the Entourage programs was 5%. The challenged was significantly less in our programs than it was in the broader community. And doing well out in the broader community, I think, was about 15%. And in the entourage programs, it was about 55%. And so what that shows us quantitatively and from a data-driven perspective is that it is never what happens to you. It's how you choose to respond. It is not about environment. It's about execution. It's not about circumstance. It's about strategy. And so look at controlling the controllables what can you influence what can you take responsibility for and get to work moving that hmm. yeah very well said and i do want to move on to a topic that um i we went away to fiji a bit over 12 months ago and you know it was an amazing experience with you know 40 incredible seven-figure business owners and um i've been on my own spiritual journey for you know since losing ethan um and 
I've, you know, changed, evolved, looked at the world a totally different way. Um, but I think uh, you did a session with us uh, around conscious wealth creating. And I think as a, a, an entrepreneur, you go through that startup phase and you become successful at business, but you can be successful at business but totally... Uh, you know, lack self-awareness and, you know, you might struggle and, and have ego breakdowns and, you know, identity crisis. And I think uh, when you did that session with me, you put it into such a understandable way of what drives you. You know, you can have success through a fuel of love, gratitude, blah, blah, blah. You can have success through I will win no matter what, you know. Do you want to, like, bring a bit of context to that um, conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I think entrepreneurs in particular are very good at this. I mean, you know, the world still has a hangover from a paradigm of I can be successful in business and make a lot of money or I can be fulfilled and enlightened, but those two are on a different end of the spectrum and one cannot integrate the two. And so I call bullshit on that entire paradigm. Uh, in fact, I think it's probably one of the greatest misconceptions that holds entrepreneurs back. And uh, what it points to, if you look at mindfulness and enlightenment and self-fulfillment, what we're really talking about is one's inner experience of their life and their world. So we live in a world that makes the external supreme right? We want the, 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 the brilliant house. We want the sports car. We want the relationship that looks good on Instagram. We want the bags or the watches or the shoes or the whatever it might be. And so we live in a culture where so many people are pursuing these external things. Now, there's nothing wrong with those external things. My question is, what is the fuel you are using to get there? Because as entrepreneurs and executives and, you know, any kind of ambitious people out there, often the fuel that is being used is frustration, it's stress, it's angst, it's grr, it's anger, it's, um, it comes from this very toxic place. And often that's where we get our drive from. And worse, we actually think we need those emotions in order to have drive. You know, the question I often get asked is, but Jack, if I didn't have all of that, or if I didn't feel inferior, or if I didn't feel dissatisfied, or if I didn't feel disconnected, then, then wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't my drive dissolve? And the answer is absolutely not. It's been scientifically proven that when you feel undernourished or dissatisfied or particularly stressed or distressed, you become less intelligent your intellect decreases, your creativity halves, your energy reserves are not good, right? And so most people go through life with this kind of subtle, under the surface sense of suffering. And when I say suffering, I don't mean, you know, this dramatization of, you know, we say suffering and you imagine somebody being crucified. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, below the social norms, below the smiles and the laughs and the cocktail party conversations, most people are living with an internal world of subtle dissatisfaction. And we live in a world that makes the external supreme. And so we're living in a world where most people, for those that are fortunate to have 
got the big dream house that they always envisage. Mm. You know, the world is full of successful people who are in their dream house feeling inferior or driving their sports car feeling not enough or engaging in their relationship feeling undernourished or surrounded by family and friends feeling alone or succeeding in business but still feeling inadequate. And we need to really understand here that your experience of life, your experience of relationships, your experience of your business, of your career, of your health, of it, your experience of life is your inner state. It's your inner world. And so if we can bring more consciousness and bring more awareness and pay more respect to our inner world, and bring more presence to our inner world and practice, because it is a practice, practice living on a daily basis with more mindfulness, practice living with less stress, practice living with more consciousness, practice living with more compassion, more joy, more creativity, more intelligence. Because when we live with those negative fuels, how that manifests is trouble sleeping, is uh, moving towards alcohol or sugar or other substances that poison the body because we require immediate relief from the subtle suffering that pervades our lives. Um, It manifests in, uh, you know, arguments with loved ones. It it manifests in the ability to not be able to concentrate. It manifests in being quick to anger, not happy, uh, being in beautiful environments, but not feeling connected. It manifests in not feeling connected to self, it manifests in not nourishing uh, your mind, body, and soul the way you need to in order to be optimal. And so when you can bring more consciousness to your inner world and live more in alignment with your inner world, then the ultimate objective here is to live from the inside out. So rather chasing the externalities of the complete ignorance of what's going on inside of me, do the things that light you up. And it's not to say you're going to enjoy yourself 100% of the day. We've all got stuff in lives and responsibilities, particularly in businesses and mortgages, whatever it might be, that it's not about love, trust, and pixie dust 24 hours a day. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is bringing a level of discernment and awareness to your inner state of being and living from that place out. And the holy grail is getting to a place where your outer world is simply a reflection of your inner world, meaning your outer world is simply a reflection of your values and your visions and your dreams and how you want your life to be. And now more than ever in 2020 and 2021 and beyond, we have an opportunity to really create a particularly, you know, if you're fortunate enough to live in Australia or America or, you know, one of the developed and wealthy nations around the world we really have an opportunity to create every inch of our lives the way we want it and so uh you know becoming a conscious wealth creator is about um living your life from a place of compassion from a place of joy from a place of inspiration and therefore you will be more intelligent therefore you will be more creative therefore you'll be more effective and we've all experienced this right we all know you know if you're coming into your office or speaking to your team every day or even to your kids every day and you're undernourished and you're tired and you're stressed are you a better parent in that scenario are you a better leader in that scenario or are you a better parent when you feel nourished when you have slept well when you're 
giving your body the right nutrients and the right vitamins, when you're giving your mind the right messages, when you're living in alignment with soul and you feel connected and empowered and inspired, which version of you is going to outperform the other? And it stands to reason we've all experienced this countless times in our personal and professional lives. The nourished you is going to outperform the undernourished you every single day of the week. Mm. And so this is a call to arms to every human being to live more from that paradigm and that perspective and watch how your life begins to echo your deepest desires. Mm. Very well said. And just before we move into the last part of the um, uh, the episode, I just want to ask you with a crystal ball, not that you should really have crystal balls, uh, we have gone through the, you know, uh, just the year of uncertainty and a year built with challenges. But a lot of people, you know, their second and third tier consequences have been really positive ones. You know, you've got many examples of yeah. businesses that have, you know, gone through an absolute boom stage. But, you know, overall, there's been a lot of, you know, challenge and uncertainty throughout the year. 2021, from a business perspective, like I I like to say to people that I've been building an asset space, a, a value, a mountain of value proposition where I'm going to try and be moving forward in quantum leaps in 2021. You know, for me, I'm normally traveling 20 weeks a year. So I've spent the year predominantly building, writing books, building more podcasts. Um, my first e-course, going into my second e-course. So I want to come through this with quantum leaps. What do you say to somebody listening to this podcast? In terms of uh, what 2021 is going to look like? Yeah, just how you should tackle it in a way like, you know, is it that, you know, challenge and adversity, you know, is it uh, a year that you know, draw that line in the sand? Is it the, you know, go all in on all in? Is it, um, you know, join the entourage is one, you know, that's for sure. But uh... I think what we're all experiencing is a global and an individual lesson in stillness and in non-attachment. And what I mean by non-attachment is um, many of us live lives where we're very attached to the way things uh, we're very attached to things going the way we envisage them going, right? And so the pre-2016 version of me uh, was very guilty of that, right? Everything had to go exactly the way I envisaged it, and it often had. And so I'd almost become addicted to the attachment of everything panning out exactly the way that I would envisage it. And then, you know, 2016 came along for me, and COVID has happened in 2020 for all of us. And so... You know, whether that's you're planning to get married this year and had to get postponed, whether that's your travel plans have gone out the window, whether it's you, you've had to pivot your entire business, whether that's uh, your your entire experience of your career has changed because you've now been working from home, you haven't been able to connect with family and friends, your, your entire reality of your social life has changed because you've been at home and have been able to connect with family and friends. And so... Um, Practicing non-attachment is a very useful exercise because I believe that we should have visions. I believe that we should have goals. I believe that they add a richness to life and they give us direction in which we can point. I think both of those things are really important. Uh, however, if we can remain fluid uh, while looking at our visions and our goals for the future and, and stay light on our feet in terms of how we're going to approach it, right? You've got to learn to roll with the punches 
And in a world where change is the only constant, the punches are the framework. And so, and you know this, Craig, in our Elevate program, it's specifically designed for seven and eight figure business owners that are on a journey to, to scaling you know, a, a great business beyond themselves. We, we always have a three to five year North Star in our Elevate businesses and in, in my businesses as well. We always have a 12 month operational plan. So we always have, we always have fundamentals that we know we are pointing to in a three to five year North Stars and an operational plan in terms of this is what we are doing and this is what we are not doing over the next 12 months. And then the motto is, this is the plan. I guarantee you we will not stick to it. <laughs> and so it's really the yin and the yang of having the visions, having the plans, having the goals, but not letting that rob you of your freedom and of your flexibility and of your human spirit to adapt along the way. And so I think if, if whether you're an entrepreneur or, or you're a career-driven person or you're, you're an artist, I think, I think that's the best way to approach it. Continue to dream, continue to architect the future and continue to be flexible in our means as to how we move towards that. Mm, very well said. So at the end of every episode, we always have some rapid fire questions. They don't have to have rapid fire an answers, but what's a book that everybody should read? A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Okay. Is that something you've just recently read? It's something that I read for the first time in 2018 and continued reading since. I think I've read it like three or four times. Right. What about the best bit of advice you've ever received? When the voice inside your head is louder than the voices outside of your head, that's when you've begun to master your life. What about the worst bit of advice you've ever received? Ah, there's been a lot of that. <laughs> uh, worst bit of advice. I think the thing with advice is it is absolutely contextual, right? And so I find this humorous. You can scroll Instagram and one tile will say, set goals and tell your peer group about it. They will hold you accountable. You know, shout your plans to the world and you'll be on path and on purpose. And then you scroll one tile down and it says, set goals in private and don't tell anyone about them until you achieve it. And it's like, I mean, that's just one small example I think that I saw in the last couple of days, but there is, it's just, it's, it's, it's funny to me how much contradictory advice there is out mm. there. Right. And, and the thing is, is that with advice, it completely depends on the individual, right? There's some, you know, some that say hustle harder, you know, work 9.00 PM till 2.00 AM. And then there's other advice. It's like, uh, nourish yourself and rest more and that's the way to get more done. You know, they're, they're completely opposite schools of thought. And, and often people like regram this stuff, I think not fully appreciating the contradiction between what they said yesterday and what they're saying. But I think the world is very, very confused right now because there's so much contradictory advice. And so the thing with advice is this, like let's take that, you know, you need to work harder type advice versus that you need to not work as much type advice. It depends completely on the individual. Because if you've got an individual that's working really, really hard and has become disconnected with self and is therefore feeling very uninspired, then the tile on Instagram that tells them to uh, reconnect with self and rest and nourish themselves is, the, is, is going to be more appropriate for that person than the tile that says work harder. Mm. 
if you take a different style of person that uh, has been in that really yin type energy for a number of you know a, a, a more feminine driven energy, and I don't mean that in the context of a female, but a more feminine driven energy of of flow and um, you know uh, independent of that, they've been resting and they've been dreaming and they've been envisaging, but they haven't necessarily been putting in the work. And then they see something on Instagram that says rest more and nourish yourself more. That's not often not going to be good advice for that person because that's not what that individual needs. And and if they see a, a, a tile on Instagram that says something along the lines of, you know, it, it, it is about putting in work and it is about putting in effort and they were to, to take that on board if it resonated, then that may move them in the right direction. So you've got two completely different pieces of advice that are completely right and wrong for very different people at very different stages of their life, right? And so I think the worst advice that anybody can take is advice that doesn't resonate with you right now. Mm. That's all that matters. There's no right or wrong. Like everyone's like, you know, what's Jeff Bezos's morning routine? Fuck Jeff Bezos's fucking <laughs> morning routine. That works for Jeff. You're not Jeff. You're Jack or you're Craig or you're Jenny or you're Jerry. You know, develop Jenny's fucking morning routine, right? It's not, there's never, it's not a one size fits all type world and it's not a one size fits all type life. The whole thing is figure out who the fuck you are, figure out what your values are, figure out what season you're in personally. And sure, take advice from people that uh, when they speak, it resonates with you. Uh, listen to people around you, but only take on board that which resonates and only take on board that which seems true for you. Mm. Very well said. Uh, what about uh, how would you define living life with passion and purpose for Jack DeLosa? I mean, my whole thing is to, to, to live a life that lights me up so that I can illuminate the world. And I, I borrowed that statement from Oprah, who I think is just such a powerful and profound example of um, alignment in every area of herself and her life. And so, I mean, for me, I'm always, I'm not a be in an office nine to five and do it for 10, 15, 20 years kind of a guy. I'm, I'm always searching for inspiration. I'm always searching for uh, the next horizon. Uh, and I'm always kind of, uh, looking for the next challenge that's going to stretch me and, and, and push me to the next level. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing that and I'm doing that in a way that's um, empowering and growth driven, and I'm doing it with people that I love, then, you know, I'm, I'm really happy. Hmm. What about the next three to five years for Jack DeLosa? Yeah. Well, I mean, with the entourage, it's, um, I still don't think there's a global brand that genuinely enables companies to scale in a way that makes them great companies. You know, university doesn't do it. TAFE doesn't do it. Uh, and I haven't yet to find any uh, private institutions that do it well, you know, other than us, to be honest. So, um, you know, I want the entourage to be uh, the leader in the category of entrepreneurship and business coaching, training, education and communities 
uh, on a global basis, right? And I think that's a position that we we can and will attain over the next three to five years. Um, for me personally, you know, um, in 2020, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to promote my general manager into a position of CEO. The entourage is now run under management. Um, and so while I'm, you know, still completely here, heart and soul and guiding and directing it from a strategic perspective uh, and working, you know, with my now CEO and management team on, on anything that they need, uh, I'm not required on an operational day-to-day -day basis. My, my whole MO in business is to build businesses that work without me. And, you know, now that we've recovered from 2016 and we're great in, back in a really great place, uh, I'm in a position where I'm fortunate enough to be able to kind of adopt that position again. So, you know, in 2021, I'll, I'll write a couple of books. Um, I'll look for probably one investment from a private company perspective. You know, I like finding businesses that are doing five, $10 million plus, and, you know, it's a great founder and a great team. Uh, they, they uh, you know, want a bit of capital and require a bit of assistance to scale and to create a, you know, a 50 or $100 million company. I, I enjoy playing that game. So, you know, I'll probably look for an investment in, in that regard, you know, in 2021. Um, I do want to do more um, spiritual development and personal development and consciousness training uh, on a global basis. So uh, how that manifests is, uh, you know, still waiting to come through. Um, and then I think, you know, like if I sort of envisage five or 10 years in the future, at some point, at some point I've got to create a brand of schools, right? And, and how that looks in five to 10 years, I'm not sure whether it's whether it looks like, you know, trying to build 100 schools in Australia over a period of five years or, or whether it um, looks more like the new age and the future of education, whatever that might be. It might be, you know, uh, home-driven schooling enabled by technology and maybe you don't have any campuses. Mm -hmm. And so whatever, you know, I think, I think in two, three, five years, I think I'll start to look at, and I'll even, I, I, I even might engage, you know, a futurist or two to help envisage what education is going to look like in 10 years and build some, whether it's primary schools and high schools, whether that's even the, the, the same model, you know, going that far into the future. But um, yeah, building some sort of a brand that, enables us to fucking drag education into uh, the 21st century. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's further on the horizon, but that's there nonetheless. Mm, and where to, that's a great vision, great to hear that sort of uh, interesting direction, especially the futurists and always like look, yeah, listening to futurists and what they predict for the future and that as well. So very interesting. What about uh, where do people find you? Instagram's good. So I'm just Jack DeLosa on Instagram. Uh, J-A-C-K DeLosa is D-E-L-O-S-A. Uh, and check us out at au. So it's just T-H-E-Entourage.com.au. You're able to join the movement um, for free. And that, that kind of, you know, gets you straight into a community of 500,000 business owners and entrepreneurs from around the world. And, um, yeah, come on the adventure. 
<laughs> and from me, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, and, you know, I've known you and travelled around the world with you and uh, spent a lot of time and I find listening to your wisdom is, you know, enlightening for me and uh, I uh, enjoy every time we have a conversation. So thanks for jumping on board with the One Shop Movement podcast. You're a legend, Craigie. I appreciate being here, mate. And I, I actually just realised that the wine boxes behind you say Rockford. Which reminds me that uh, we need to catch up for a beautiful glass of wine uh, sometime <laughs> soon, mate. So much love, Craig, and thanks for having me on. Thanks, bud. Cheers, mate. Well, I hope you got as much value out of that episode as I did. I love chatting to Jack about all things business. If you haven't got a copy of my book, make sure you head across to my website just at craigschultz.com and get your copy. If you want to take this conversation further and want to know how I can help you live your life with passion and purpose, make sure you head onto my website, click on Connect with Craig and book in your call. We do a 15-minute deep dive into where you are, where you want to go, and if I I am the person to help you do that. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the One Shop Movement podcast. We're going to have another amazing guest next week. My name's Craig Schultz and I'm the host of the One Shop Movement podcast.